Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone, welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 306 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. Joining me again this week, the guru of Red Leg Nation and RedsMinorLeagues.com, Doug Gray. How are you today, Doug Gray? I am wonderful, Chad. How you doing? Oh, man. Could not be better. The Reds are still tied for first place. Everyone's optimistic right now, right? Yes. Let's let's go with that, and I don't want to hear any arguments from anybody else on this podcast about it. <laughs> well, we may discuss how optimistic we are. I don't know. Uh, it, that's been a topic of uh, discussion in our uh, Slack channel that you can get uh, access to uh, if you're a at least $2 a month uh, contributor over at Patreon. But anyway, optimism and how optimistic we should be. And uh, th- those are a lot of conversations right now because the Reds are certainly better, but how much better is a question. Let's talk about the news for the week, though, and then we'll get into some of that. Uh, and there's not a lot of news, obviously. We're still in January and things are kind of slow, but there is some things we need to talk about. First, uh, the Reds signed, signed left-handed pitcher Jesse Biddle to a minor league contract for the 2020 season with an invite to big league spring training. Now, uh, Biddle is, you know, um, he's had times when he was really good. He's had times when he's not as good. What what do we know about Biddle? And, uh, you know, uh, is this a, a good... Uh, all these minor league contracts with the invitation to big league spring training, to me, are good gambles. I mean, if they don't work out, they don't work out. You're really out nothing. But what should we know about Biddle? I mean, he was pretty good in 2018, his rookie year with Atlanta. Uh, 3.11 ERA and 63 and two-thirds innings. Struck out 67 guys. Uh, 2019 was, um, hmm, how do we put this nicely? Not that. Not as uh, good. His ERA jumped up to 8.36. Now, is that good? And that is not good, Chad. I mean, I know that, you know, this this past year we had the juice baseball and everybody was, you know, hitting home runs and scoring more runs. But uh, now 8.36, that's not good for anybody. J.J. Um, Hoover's now, mom told me an 8.36 ERA was good. Well, I'm not going to speak bad about J.J. Hoover's mom, but I will just say this. I disagree with that assertion. Well, I think you're probably right. So, But, you know, it's a guy that had some success, uh, you know, and uh, whatever. He doesn't work out. He doesn't work out if he does. It's a left-handed reliever, and the Reds need uh, relief pitching, I presume. And uh, let me just say this. The Reds signed another minor league deal with a 6'6 right-hander, Walter Walker Weckle. Walker, what, easy for me to say. Is it? Is Walker Weckl. It's not. Um, so uh, he was a supplemental first round pick back in 2012. And uh, but you know, ha- any chance that guy ever plays for the Reds? I mean, sure, there's a chance. I mean, he's he's got solid stuff. He's not gonna you know jump off the page at anybody, but you know, he's solid across the board. He's a former starter who's now relieving. Uh, he had good results this year as a reliever. So you know, y- y- you never know. And I, he's one of those guys that I personally am intrigued by just, I mean, a lot of the guys in the organization just to kind of see what, you know, Kyle Body does with all of these guys, uh, you know, in, in the development that, you know, he's got different ideas of, you know, how to approach not only, you know, increasing velocity, which is kind of one of the things that he's known for, but the, the plan and the development of these guys, too. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm intrigued with a guy like this who, you know, again, as you said, you know, former supplemental first rounder. The talent is the raw talent is there. I would like to really see what we can get out of guys like that. Uh, you know, sometimes it really works out, and sometimes you know it it just doesn't. But 
you know, I, I watched him pitch on some video. I mean, he's throwing 94 to 96. So it's not like he's some soft tosser who lost his fastball. And, you know, that's why he's considered a former first rounder rather than, you know, already up in the major league. So there, there's some stuff there. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Now, the question that I really, really reason I'm only going to bring him up in, a, uh, in conjunction with uh, Biddle is that uh, the Reds really haven't done a lot to improve their bullpen so far this offseason. And, and my opinion is, and I, a lot of people are always saying this, are they going to get anybody? I'm constantly getting that question. They've got to fix this bullpen. They've got to fix this bullpen. Number one, I think they probably do need to improve the bullpen. But I don't know that it's as bad as everyone. I've been saying for a while, I think everybody has bullpen problems these days with all the innings that bullpens are throwing. It's not just the Reds. Uh, but they do need to improve, don't, don't you think? Yeah, and I'm kind of with you. I think the bullpen is probably better than a lot of people express. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that the guy that I, I feel just is, is so overlooked is Cody Reed. I, I really think that his debut really soured a lot of people on him. Oh, yeah. And then, and, then, and then he was injured for most of last year, and people just didn't realize how good he's actually been the last two years when he's been on the mound. And uh, he's going to get the Robert Stevenson Memorial uh, roster spot because he's out of options this year. He's going to be on the team, you would think. I mean, you would think healthy. so, but at the same time, there's a lot of guys that are out of True. options this yeah. year that you know, there's not going to be enough roster spots. But I, I think that with the talent that Cody Reed has, unless it's just a terrible, terrible spring, uh, yeah, he's probably going to get that uh, ceremonial roster spot either way. Yeah, I would think so. So um, We'll talk more about the, the uh, relievers, the bullpen, as we get closer to uh, opening day. I do expect the Reds are going to sign so, at least one person, and maybe more than one, uh, to, to pitch out in the bullpen. But as of right now, not a lot of action out there. So uh, go Jesse Biddle, I guess. Uh, Doug, before we get into some of the other uh, news and rumors from the week, I do want to mention this because this is right up your alley. Baseball America released their top 100 prospect list uh, this week, and the Reds only had two players on the top 100 prospects list. That doesn't seem good. And it's it's not great. Uh, it's probably their worst showing. And I mean, I didn't actually go back and look, but just off the top of my head, I feel like it's the worst showing they've had in a really long time. Um, Both pitchers, I guess that's something. I mean, that is something. You know, Hunter Green came in at number 76. Nick Lodolo came in at number 77. And Jonathan India was one of the first five prospects that missed uh, the, the top 100 list. And the Reds had a few other guys that got you know, top 150 votes, uh, just to kind of give you an insight into how Baseball America goes about making their list. is They get all of the editors at Baseball America to submit a, a top 150 list. Uh, and then from there, they use an AP-style format, you know, if you're the number one prospect, it's worth 150 points. If you're the number 150 guy, it's worth one. And they just use that and compile a, a general list to kind of is there is there kickoff point, and then they kind of debate guys here and there and work around that way. But uh, you know, the Reds had five guys that got votes, um, and so it, it's not like they don't have anything in their farm system. I think that it's just kind of at, at a weaker point right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, a lot of guys have come off the prospect. Uh, I have the prospect label label removal. What I see when I see this is the Reds have zero top seventy five prospects. Arbitrary. Well, this is this is this is true because <laughs> they had seventy six and seventy seven, but zero top seventy five prospects, and uh, and it shows you how far Jonathan India, who I'm still relatively high on, uh, but he was number fifty one uh, in the last uh, mid season update, and it, not on the list at all. And I would have thought Tyler Stevenson might sneak on that list. Uh, and I'm sorry, I know you said he's one of the, among the ones that uh, that received votes, but uh, I'm a little surprised Tyler Stevenson is not a top hundred prospect because he seems like he's got a really high ceiling to me. I don't know. 
Yeah, I you know it, it's funny that you say that. Um, I actually got a message from a scout the day that the list came out who expressed similar uh, feelings about Tyler Stevens because he, he had actually read my article and he saw where I responded in the comments to somebody, you know, that I personally would have him in the top 100. And he was like, "Yeah, I'm with you. I, you know, he's a guy I probably would have had somewhere between 70 and 80." But you know, they don't ask me for my opinion on the list, and we've all got our different ideas about you know who should rank where, and you know, that, and that's fine. You know, you're you're going to have varying opinions, but. Uh, me, me, and at least one scout. The you know we, we we were with you, Chad. We we thought he was a top 100 guy. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I don't know anything about anything. If you've listened to all 306 episodes of this podcast, uh, a you're my mother, and b <laughs> you know that I don't know anything about anything. But, um, you know, my mother's never listened to this podcast. Actually, we make that joke, and I'm going to actually have to have a give her a stern talking to about that. But my thought is, I just don't see that. I, I like Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo both. You know, I, I, I'm glad those guys are in the Reds organization, but I don't know that I see either one of those as being better prospects than uh, than Tyler Stevenson to me, or at least you know not, maybe marginally so. I guess Hunter Green, you can make an argument just strictly based on all that crazy talent, but I don't know. I'm 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 as high on Tyler Stevenson as anyone in this organization, so I don't know. Clearly, I'm right though, right? I mean, my my list has Tyler Stevenson behind both of those guys, but you know. Yeah, but is anyone in between those two? Or th- those mm-hmm. two and Tyler Stevenson? No. And don't you think it's kind of close? Yes. Now I I will say this. I I did find it a little bit strange that Hunter Green dropped like twenty something spots in the rankings, despite the fact that he didn't pitch at all since they last updated their list. That that's a little weird to me. It is because he was uh, he was hurt at that time too. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you know, I mean, I I, I think that Hunter Green is, I mean, I, I'd have him higher on the list. Uh, I feel like Lodolo is probably in the right range. Uh, Stevenson's there. I personally would have put somebody on the list that didn't even get a single vote. I think I know who you're going to say Go Jose ahead. Garcia. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I just. I, especially now, I feel like he's probably one of the most underrated prospects in all of baseball. Uh, I didn't expect him to make the top 100 list, but I'm really surprised that no one put him in the top 150. Like that, that just that that feels like either I'm a crazy person, which totally could be possible, but <laughs> it's clearly I mean, possible. I, I, I talk to a lot of people, and I'm not the only one that feels this way about Jose Garcia. Yeah, you know, you know Red, we, Reds people and just scouts in general. So. I don't know. The first time we talked about Garcia on this podcast, it was you and I, and uh, we had a question about him. And I was not, I don't know, I was underwhelmed. But the more I look at him and the more I see what he's done, the more I think about him and the more you've uh, kind of talked me into it, I think you're right. I mean, I'm, that's a guy that I'm excited to have. I wish he were closer to the big leagues because the Reds need some shortstops. But um, I don't know. Hunter Green, though, you know, he's still like 14 years old. <laughs> so I could, can't you see him coming out? And being Hunter Green again when he gets back on the field, and all of a sudden he jumps way back up uh, to near the top of the rankings. That's what that's what I project happening. Yeah, I mean, if, if he comes back and he's healthy and he looks what like what he did beforehand, which I don't think that that is an unreasonable expectation. Right. It's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee, but a majority of the guys do come back and look like their old selves. I mean, if if that's the guy that shows up, you know, say from June through the end of the year, yeah, he's he's going to be a top. 25 prospect at the end of the year yeah yeah he's yeah. he's he's really really talented i it's depressed I don't, I don't solely because of the surgery yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, his rank is depressed solely because of the surgery and there's some unknown here but yeah. there is every you know there's no reason to think he won't come back just as good it may not he may not but uh many many people do yeah at this point there's no reason to think that he won't 
Right, exactly. All right, now, the last uh, the sort of news and rumors of the week that we'll talk about before we get into the, the subject of the show, then a little bit of uh, hash brown viewer mail later. Uh, Marcelo Zuna, outfielder Marcelo Zuna, free agent, signed a one-year deal with the Atlanta Braves this, uh, this week for $18 million. It's funny, I was talking to uh, a friend who's a Cardinals fan. Uh, yeah, I'm, I know. But uh, he was asking what I thought was going to happen. I said, I, I really think he's come, going back to St. Louis. And this guy was like, eh, okay. I mean, he's been fine the last couple of years, but he wasn't that excited about uh, Ozuna coming back. And then about um, 10 minutes later, he signs with the Atlanta Braves. Uh, 18 million, kind of betting on himself a little bit. But the reason we talk about it is that multiple teams, there's a report, and again, these reports are from John Heyman. So make of them what you, I have to qualify that every time I mention him. Make of it what you will. But the report was that Ozuna had some uh, multi-year offers, and one of those was from the Cincinnati Reds. So if you believe the report, the Reds offered Marcelo Zuna a a multi-year deal, and uh, he turned it down for the one-year deal with Atlanta. So um, let's take that in uh, by itself before we talk about the, the other rumors. Uh, Reds still in on on Marcelo Ozuna. Um, are you a little, were you surprised to hear that? I wasn't. I mean, and I see how it could work. I'm not really high on Ozuna, but I see how it could work. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I wasn't exactly thrilled with the idea, but I could see where there would be interest there. I think the underlying metrics you know, led you to believe that he could be a lot better than he was this past season. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he's really only had that one really big season to his name. And uh, the reports were that he was looking for a much larger deal than he wound up taking. Uh, when, the, when the deal came out that it was a one-year deal for $18 million, I was shocked. Yeah, me too. Uh, I mean, that's basically the qualifying offer that he got and turned down. So, yeah, he's clearly betting on himself to to perform well and get a better deal next uh, next off season. Uh, you know, and, and and the Reds clearly weren't willing to pay him what he thought he deserved in a, in a longer term deal, and and that's probably good business. Frankly, Ozuna's the way I've always thought about Ozuna is that he makes the Reds better. I think if he were on the Reds today, if they'd signed him and he's on the Reds today, I think the Reds are better overall but it's you know it's 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 marginal improvement it, it doesn't it's not some kind of he's not the you know the big bat necessarily but uh, having him on the team makes the reds better they're they're deeper they're um the offense is better uh, every day and so i don't know that's the way i feel like it. but I, i'm not that upset that the reds weren't able to weren't willing to they were able but they weren't willing to offer him what he wanted does that make sense yes now, we combine that with uh, – thank you for that. I appreciate that, Doug. Uh, anytime <laughs> you want to agree with me, it's encouraged. Um, kind of the companion uh, report was that – and we not heard – and this is this was the name, Nicholas uh, – Ca- I say it wrong every time – Castellanos. I really want to just call him Castellanos. I mean, you, you can do whatever you want. This is your podcast, Chad. That's true. That's true. I mean, you make the rules. <laughs> oh, man, that's – Really, it's kind of scary. But uh, Nick Nick Castellanos, Castellanos, Castellanus? Yes, Yes, that's the one. Okay, whatever. Um, The Reds are going to sign him, and I'm going to be struggling with that all year long. It's awful. Um, Anyway, uh, the Reds have been mentioned with him recently, or not recently. Well, they were recently. Okay, let's start this over. Earlier in the offseason, the Reds were mentioning him. Kind of quieted down. Looked like maybe Texas was the, the leading contender for his services. And this is, of course, uh, he's the, the outfielder that was with Detroit and then uh, traded to Chicago. 
uh, at the trade deadline. And now there's a report that the Reds are, quote, in with the Rangers on, on him. So the Reds are still pursuing outfielders. To me, and I want to talk about, uh, although we've talked about him before in the podcast, but I want to talk about this proposition, which is that I really think the Reds are, are going hard. They're going after. I don't know how hard they're going for them, but are, are pursuing outfielders like Ozuna and Castellanos um, because they know they're not getting a shortstop right now, at least a starting level shortstop this offseason. Because they, other than trade, there's not going to be anyone available. So this is they're trying to still trying to improve the team, and this is the way they can make those marginal improvements. Does that make sense to you? What I'm trying to say? Am I, am I saying that correctly? Yes. Once again, I'm agreeing with you. What do you think about Castellanos? I mean, I, I think he'd be a huge boost to the offense. Um, yeah, I think that he, I mean, especially right now, he's definitely the best hitter available on the free agent market. Yeah, uh, you know, there's, I, I think that power will play really well in the ballpark, and he's a good hitter. He is. He really, he, he really is. Uh, and he's for the most part, he's been buried in Detroit's cavernous ballpark, and uh, I, I'd really like to see what he could do. I. I don't want to say that he could go out and do, you know, one of those. Uh, I mean, I'm terrified to mention. I'm not even going to mention it. that outfielder who's now in Milwaukee, who I won't mention by name, who <laughs> used to play in Miami. One, one, of, one of those kind of things. I just shed you know, a you, single you, tear. You go from a huge ballpark to a much more hitter-friendly ballpark, and well, that natural talent takes over. But I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it were something close to that. I don't think he's going to walk nearly as much as that guy does. But the, the hitting part, I think that, you know, if, if you put Castellanos in the right ballpark, you could really see a big explosion. Um, now, the downside with that is he's not really a good defender. No, and he doesn't never, play defense. Yeah, no, he's not good. Um, in today's game, defense is less important than it's ever been because the ball's just not put in play as much. And when it is... Teams know where it's going to go a lot more frequently, so they can position guys a lot better. Range doesn't come into play quite as much, but even with all that said, his defensive numbers are really, really bad. Yeah, having him in right field and uh, Winker in left field really kind of scares me. Senzel or, or Akiyama, whoever's in, in center field that particular day, is going to have to be moving uh, to cover a lot of ground. But you're right. You know, I, 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 Everyone wants to mention his defense, and I think it's a legitimate uh, concern, and it's why I wasn't necessarily that high on him all along. At this point, I think uh, he moves the needle a little more than Ozuna, and uh, and and I'm okay. I, if the Reds can land him, he's just 28. Is the other thing he's just 28, and so he, he's a little bit better value for a, if you go three, four, five years, something like that. I can live with it. I think he's a, a good enough player now. The question that I keep getting, and I want to pose it to you, and, I, and I'm going to give my answer first so that you can agree with me or disagree, and whatever you want to do, but how many outfielders do the Reds need? Why are they still trying to go after outfielders? They've already got about a million. And uh, to, to, which I, to which I say, wait a minute. Uh, the Reds have, to, to my mind, three guys that I'm willing to count on right now in the outfield. I think you can get 450, 500 bats or more for at least four outfielders the way uh, David Bell manages his team and with injuries and stuff, who knows? So uh, I think they, you know, Jesse Winker can't play against left left-handed pitchers. So you've got a lot of it bats still there, you know, that way and mixing and matching. I don't know. I think the Reds need to, I'm not ready to count on Phil Irvin. I like Phil Irvin. He was good last year. I'm not ready to count on Aristides Aquino. 
Uh, he was great in August, not so good in September. There are reasons to think he could be good. There are reasons to question it as well. Uh, I'm not ready to count him. If he does end up being great, oh, man, what a great situation the Reds are in at that point. If he doesn't, uh, I'm pretty sure Castellanos is going to he's going to hit. I'm pretty sure that he's going to be productive because that's what he's been his whole career. So, anyway, there's my rant. I'll let you take over. Yeah, I, you know, I I think that last point is is the the key one, and I think it applies to why they were going after Marcelo Zuna, too. You can count on those guys. Yeah. Not not just because they've proven that they can hit in the major leagues. Both of those guys stayed healthy for the large part of their careers too. And uh, you know, that's not something that I mean, I I I'm not trying to say anything bad about Jesse Winker or Nick Senzel, but it's been a long time since either one of those guys played a full season. And you know, that's one of the things that I think that a team like the Reds who is you know, they're on, at least on paper they're a contender, but you know, they're not a favorite. If you can make up things on the margins, have that depth, that can be that can make a real difference come September. Uh, you know, if, if you lose a guy to an injury, even if it's just for a month somewhere in the middle, if the options are, well, we're going to go to, you know, Philip Irvin, or if Philip Irvin's the guy that is now having to be replaced, and you've got to go with some random dude from AAA, that that's a difference maker. Yeah, that's the point so, that I've been trying to make, which is that I think the Reds are pretty good right now maybe slightly above 500 right now, but they're so thin. A couple of injuries or things go wrong, and I could see them being in fourth place again, you know, and, and winning 77 games or something. So Castellan, uh, Nicholas, uh, he uh, he helps with that. Also, I love the point you just made, and I haven't really considered it, but I'm looking at his uh, stats right now. He has been in the big leagues. He, can't, he debuted at 21. He's had six full years in the big leagues, and in five of those, he's played at least 148 games. So dependable, durable, and can actually hit. Uh, also, you know, he's, uh, let's see, 27, he'll be 28 soon, right? Um, he's a right-handed hitter. Uh, I don't know, I just, I think he, I, the more I look at him, and maybe it's just because I know he's the only guy still out there and I'm wanting the Reds to get better, but I, maybe I'm talking myself into it. But I can see how he really helps this outfield, and it makes us have. I think at this point, the outfield becomes, if you if Akiyama's as good as you expect them to be, uh, the outfield almost becomes a strength on this team. If Senzel is healthy, and Senzel is what we expect Senzel to be, I guess that's another question mark. Am I overstating it? No, I don't think so. I think that, I mean, especially if you kind of pay attention to the way the Reds have been doing things with the platoons. Um, you know, if you get, let's say, you get Castellanos, well, then you've got him and Nick Senzel as right-handed hitters. And you've got Shogo Akiyama and Jesse Winker, the left-handed hitters. You can really mix and match things. Yeah. I mean, you can really take advantage of the outfield you've got on any given day, depending on the pitching lineup. Or if you know, it's a day where you know, say, Sonny Gray or Luis Castillo are pitching, where you don't need as much fly ball kind of defense because both of those guys are among the best ground ball pitchers in baseball. Uh, you can really stack the lineup then. Then maybe you're not as worried about what Castellanos is going to bring defensively because you're expecting to get most ground balls during the day anyways. Yeah, yeah. So much flexibility that you're provided that way. And, I, you know, if that's what happens, and that's kind of what the Reds go, they may make, may make some more small acquisitions. But if that's if the Reds can sign Castel, Castellanos, and that is a uh, the last big signing they get, they will not have made the big, like, uh, you know, really impact signing. But, they will have gotten pretty substantially better with Mustakas and uh, Castellanos and Akiyama. I think that's, I think that's a significantly better team. And, and then maybe we're even talking about, 
87, eight win, 88 wins, and, and who knows, you know, if you get a little bit lucky. So that's, and, and you've not improved at shortstop or catcher. I'm not so worried about catcher. I think the catchers are going to be fine relative to other catchers around the league. And maybe we can live with uh, with Freddie Gallus as your starting shortstop. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I'd rather not, but um, my dream is just to get a real shortstop. and Because and, I like Galvis. I want him here as the, the backup shortstop and second baseman. I think, he, I think he's perfect for that role. Yeah, it's just a it's a bad year for shortstops because, as you said earlier, there's nobody really on the market that is available that's worth it's an actual upgrade over Freddie Galvis at this point. Yeah, I mean there was only one guy in the free agent mm-hmm. market that was a a true upgrade, and you know that was Didi Gregorius, and even he was coming off of a really down year coming off of Tommy John surgery, so there was some risk involved with that too. True, true. true. I think it's cl- uh, clearly an upgrade, and I, w- I was clear on the podcast that I would have done it, but. Uh, but you're right. You're absolutely right. So, and then it became trade. And with trades, you know, I I don't think the Indians are going to trade Lindor right now. I think I would not be surprised if Francisco Lindor were a red though uh, in on August first. I mean, I hope he's a red on April first, but you know, I, I agree. But <laughs> I would not be surprised if he ends up in a red uniform. I just don't think the Indians are motivated to trade him right now, and I don't know why they would be. Frankly, matter of fact, they should be trying to sign him to a long term deal if they had any sense. That's great. Oh, they've, they've got plenty of sense. They're just trying to save them. That's the problem. Oh, I see what you did there. Little, uh, I'm, good. I'm, I'm good with words oh, sometimes. Man, a little wordplay. I like it. All right. So that's kind of the news and rumors of the week. Uh, not a lot there, but some, you know, uh, I like that the Reds are still in still in play um, for at least, uh, you know, the only remaining big free agent out there. And I can see how he works. But now what I want to talk about the, the topic of the podcast today and uh, I think it's a good time to talk about it. It's about uh, the elephant in the room. You ready to talk about the elephant in the room? As long as I don't have to smell him. <laughs> there you go. Oh, actually, before we do that, I'm sorry. What about Brock Holt? We didn't talk about Brock Holt. The Reds are reportedly interested in free agent Brock Holt. Hmm. I, I you know, I think that Brock, Brock Holt is an interesting guy. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Brock if, you Holt. if you don't get that reference, then you should probably, I don't know, watch more television. Go I guess. watch Arrested Development. I, I want Brock Holt so that I can make that dumb joke a thousand times. <laughs> uh, it's it's so a wrong? good joke, though. It's a good joke. <laughs> He's the utility guy. Does he help the Reds? Yeah, I, I think that the only reason he makes sense for the Reds is that he can play shortstop. He's I mean, Kyle Farmer, but a little better. Is that a fair? I, I mean, I, I was going to say he, he's kind of Josh Van Meter. But Ooh, yeah. a slightly lesser hitter, but can play shortstop. Like I, I think that if if the Reds go after Brock Holt, then Josh Van Meter is going to AAA next year. If they don't, then Josh Van Meter's probably got a roster spot come April. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm a I'm a fan of, of Van Meter. Uh, he's got some flexibility, but I think that's a that's a good comparison. Um, and you actually wrote that at Red Leg Nation uh, about the fact that he's played not played much shortstop, but he has played there in the big leagues. Um, and Josh Van Meter just, you know, he's not going to do that. So, uh, but Josh Van Meter has a cool name. But is it as cool as Brock Holt? I mean, no. <laughs> but what is like? Who who has that kind of name? Oh, I know, I know somebody. Who, Chad? Who? Lisa Alberto Monia. I'm just glad we got that into the podcast. I had to get that in. What about Shogo Akiyama? I, I'm willing to accept that's a better name too. That's a pretty I good am. name, yeah. Um, 
All right, so yeah, Brock. I forgot we were. I wanted to mention that, but uh, the Reds are rumored to be in on Brock Holt and or interested in. I mean, you know, we keep hearing these interest. The Reds are interested in everybody. <laughs> these, I think people just need tweets. Reporters need tweets, and so you get paid by the tweet, right? That's why. <laughs> that's why I tweet so much. <laughs> Man, no wonder you're raking in those big Twitter bucks. I love it. I, I really am. All right, the elephant in the room. Now I got an, uh, an email uh, this week. From Sean Frick, dedicated listener to the podcast. Thanks for the email, Sean. And you gave us the uh, idea for this week's topic of the show. And here's Sean's uh, email. Chad, love the podcast. Okay, I had to put that in because he he loves the podcast. Isn't that great? It really is. <laughs> While the, just, uh, just like this podcast. Exactly. While the Reds continue to improve their roster, everyone seems to assume the current area of need is shortstop. While I, while I agree... I think folks are not being realistic about Joey Votto. For most of his career, he's been a great hitter with skills far above everyone else. However, in 2019, I saw him do things that clearly indicated he had no idea what he was doing at times, and he essentially admitted as much. The Reds cannot have a first baseman that ranks in the bottom half of the major leagues if they intend to compete in 2020. My question is, what's the plan? I haven't seen any indication that they are addressing the issue. They don't seem to have anyone on the roster or in the minors ready to step in. As you say, hope is not a strategy. Continue the great work, he says. Sean, thank you for the question. I thought that would be something interesting to discuss. Uh, Joey Votto and uh, Joey Votto 2020 and then the uh, beyond, I guess. You want to you wanna start tackling that one? There's a lot to unwrap there, Chad. A lot to unpack. Uh, That's why it's the topic of the show, Doug Gray. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll, I'll start with this much. Um I don't think that the Reds necessarily have a, a plan in, for the short term, uh, nor do I think that they need one, uh, because fair or unfair, Joey Votto isn't going to the bench anytime soon unless he's injured. Um, the Reds, I mean, they're they're not going to pay him $25 million to not play a majority of the time. And he's uh, under contract through, uh, let's see, 2023, and the Reds have a team option for 2024, so... Um, so yeah, I mean, he's here and he's going to be the first baseman if he's healthy, period. So that, I, I, I want to begin, that's where we need to begin is that you're right. There's no plan, backup plan because he's being paid to be the first base for the next few years. And that goes to the second part of the question, which is, uh, you know, can the Reds, uh, be competitive if they have a first baseman that ranks in the bottom half of the major leagues? I'm going to go with Yes. Because I saw the 2012 Reds run out Drew Stubbs and Zach Cozart, who couldn't hit their way out of a wet paper bag, win 97 games. At first base? Well, not at first base, but I mean, <laughs> their overall production wasn't really any sort of difference maker at all. And, I mean, they still won 97 games. You can you can win a lot of baseball games with bad players. You just got to be pretty good everywhere else. And I think that's kind of what the Reds are going for. And not, I'm not saying that I think that they believe that Joey Votto is not going to be good. Thank you. Yes. But let's just let's just play this out. If Joey Votto is not good, yeah, they can still win a lot of baseball games if he's not good, assuming that they, you know, are good everywhere else or close to everywhere else. I mean, I, I think if you look at what the Reds are trying to do right now with the pitching staff, they don't want to have anybody on the pitching staff who is a weak spot. And if you're able to do that, most games you're going to be in every game. You know, it, that I mean, just being competitive every day, that really does kind of improve your chances to be good by the end of the year. But it's not ideal. It's not ideal. But, I mean, who doesn't have weak spot on their team? 
Okay, but now, right, we're, we're kind of, uh, you're right, you're absolutely right. Uh, the Reds already have uh, one, Freddie Galvis. Um, Freddie Galvis has great hair. Let me just say that, okay, first of all. Um, he may not be able to hit as well as I want him to, but he has great hair. Now, we are presupposing for the purposes of this question that Joey Votto is a first baseman that ranks in the bottom half of the major leagues in 2020. And I'll be honest with you, and, and maybe I'm a Joey Votto apologist, I'm not ready to concede that just yet. You know, he was not good last year. Joe, well, he was not good. He wasn't good. He was, but he was still average last year. You know, uh, it was his worst year, no question. But he's he's one year away from an All Star team where he led the league in on base percentage. He's two years away from finishing second in the MVP vote. He was not good last year. And I, you read the, because uh, we, we've talked about it, the article he interviewed with, uh, as he always does, with uh, C. Trent Rosecrans of The Athletic. And it was a really interesting interview, and I'll let you talk about that in a moment. But um, I'm not ready to concede. I know he's going to be 36, but I'm not ready to concede that he is not going to at least be an above-average first baseman in the big leagues because he's only had one year in his career where he hasn't been. And, yes, I know, aging curve and all that, and... Yeah, last year he only hit 261, but he was on base 357. So, I don't know. I, the power has disappeared the last couple of years, but I'm still not ready to give that up. Um, and Votto's not either, according to that interview, right? Right. And, you know, I think that we've all seen what Joey Votto does every year. You know, he works at his craft of hitting. Harder than, I mean, at least on the surface, from what we can tell, harder than anybody else does. But he did that last year, and it, he didn't produce. And it, and it didn't work. And, you know, reading the interview that he had with Trent, you know, he said that concerned him. Um, and the word that he used concerned me. Because, <laughs> me yeah. unfortunately, as you mentioned, age is a thing. Yeah, it, it, it eventually catches up with everybody. Father time is undefeated. That guy's a jerk. I hate him. He's the worst. But is that what really caught up to Joey Votto, or was it whatever changes he was trying to make just didn't work? Um, we've we've seen a lot of changes from Joey Votto over the years, and some have cl clearly worked a lot better than others. Uh, what he tried to do last year, it it didn't work. Now, it'll that that's kind of what that's the unknown, I guess. Is it the changes that didn't work? Or is it because he's 35 years old and his bat's slowing down that they didn't work? And I think that that's a really big factor that, unfortunately, I don't have the answer to. We don't. I I, I hope that Joey Votto and the Reds do have the answer to that. Um, because if it's because he's just not as athletic and his bat's a little bit slower, you know, you can try and mitigate that by picking and choosing which pitchers he's going to face. I mean, he, as we said earlier, he's going to play a lot of the games. But... If he gets, you know, 25 games off during the year rather than, you know, five. Yeah. And, and you can pick and match those when he's going to be facing, say, Noah Syndergaard rather than I don't have a good idea of a pitcher who throws 93 instead of 99. Right. But or some tough left-hander. Yeah. I mean, if you can pick and choose just, you know, 75 at-bats throughout the year that he's not really going to be favored at all in and eliminate those – well, then Joey Votto can probably still be pretty good. 
Yeah. If it's and if it's just one of those situations where the changes he made didn't work because they just didn't work, but he doesn't need to be pulled out because he doesn't have the bat speed to catch up with 98 unless he knows 98's coming. Well, that's great. That'll that's fantastic because I if if that's the case, I think Joey Votto's got enough in him, you know, figuring it out that he can do that because he now knows that what he did last year doesn't work. Yeah, I'm just I'm still at the point where I'm I don't want to not trust Joey Votto because he is the best hitter that I've seen in a Reds uniform in my lifetime. Uh, It's not really particularly close, frankly, and so I you know I kind of trust the guy. Um, I always say, you all know, you tell me all the time, hope is not a strategy. That's kind of my that's kind of my word. Hope is not a strategy, but the, the fact of the matter is. Joey Votto's under contract for the next four years if he doesn't decide to retire. And the Reds' strategy at first base, to go back to the original question, is what's their plan to replace him? Their plan really kind of has to be hope. They have to hope that he can delay the aging curve. The last year was just a little blip on the radar that he's going to be, he's going to come back to being a, a somewhat productive hitter at age 36 this year. And for the next uh, three years after that, they kind of have to hope because he's going to be there. Now, they can mitigate it, they, and they're going to have to. They're going to have to look at, for spots where they can put somebody else in. In I don't know who. They don't really have a, a backup first baseman at this point other than maybe Tucker Barnhart, um, unless you can think of someone that, that I'm not thinking of. I mean, Josh Van Meter, if he's on, if he's even well, on the team. Yeah. I mean, he's got plenty of experience at first base. That, 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 but that's all I got. I, I don't know who else they would put there other than one of the catchers. I mean, maybe Kyle Farmer, who I guess is sort yeah, of kind of a I guess, catcher, but... and I don't. But yeah, I mean, if, if those are your options, I mean, I'm you can't see me. But my hands are kind of up in the air right now. I'd rather go with Votto than those guys. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I like Kyle Farmer, I like Josh Van Meter, but I don't know. I'm, I don't know. You kind of have to ride with Votto at this point, and and hope that he doesn't drag the offense down, um, and hope that he's a positive contributor. Now, if I had to bet the ranch. I don't really own a ranch, but if I if I owned a ranch and I had a bet on it, I would bet on Votto being at least a, signi- a significant amount better than he was last year. I would bet on him being much closer to his 2018 numbers, which weren't the best of his career, but they were still pretty good. Uh, I would bet on him being there rather than where he was in 2019. We'll have to see. He says that he's focusing on it this, uh, you know, on offense more this off season. I don't know. Um, <sighs> It's hard to tell. Every interview with Joey Votto is a fantastic read, or if you get to watch it, it's a fantastic, uh, it's always entertaining. Joey Votto is just, I love Joey Votto, but uh, I really, truly don't know what to expect of him this year. And that's kind of kind of sad to me, because we've watched him his whole career, and we kind of know what to expect from him. He's going to be great. And it's really, I guess we're all aging, and so we all feel this in, in some ways, but it just makes me sad, you know? Just sad. I do know. I I, I experienced that same feeling. Joey. What, what, would you expect him to be closer to his 2017 numbers, 2018 numbers, or 2019 numbers? I, I'd say closer to 2018 numbers. Um, but aren't you kind of hoping I'd, there? I mean, I'm I'm hoping that he can return to uh, say 2012 numbers, yes, but please. that's 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 absolutely crazy talk. Um, Doug, you've been known far and wide for your crazy talk, so I encourage. Yes, it. but the, but the, we're talking different different kinds of crazy right now, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think that is really. I like the way that uh, that Sean put the question. It really is kind of the elephant in the room. Um, but Joey's there, and if Joey is really bad this year, if he gets even worse, 
it's going to be a big-time drag on the Reds' offense. If he gets better, then we're in uh, pretty good shape because then really the only uh, only real true black hole, quote-unquote, of in the offense is going to be Freddie Galvis, who's really not that awful, but he's not he's not good. But he's Jose Iglesias, essentially, with more power. Um, so it goes to where you're, you're one, one bad spot in the lineup versus two. And, and I'm not including catcher because I feel like the catchers are going to be roughly average compared to their peers. So yeah, I think it's a, I think it is the elephant in the room. Do you? I mean, I, I'm not going to argue that it's not. So sure. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I guess. But, uh, can we finish with this? Joey Votto, we love you. And, uh, we want you to be the Joey Votto of old this year. And if you're not, we're still going to love you. I mean, you can speak for me when you say that. Right. I, I'm not going to let you, you know, say <laughs> that you can speak for everybody in the podcast world because, well, I know a few people that may not agree with that, and they 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 send us tweets sometimes. Oh my so. goodness, he's not well loved by a certain segment of the Reds fan base, is he? He's not, and I don't understand it. I, who's you know Barry Larkin was great. That's the last player that's even in the conversation for being as good as Joey Votto has been in his career in a Reds uniform. And for some reason, maybe it's just amplified by the fact that people on Twitter are insane, including me. You do not have to tell me, Chad. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's just what it is. Yeah, it could It could just be that we get to hear more voices now than ever before because we have social media. There were you know, people... Before, you had to go out and actually find those people or wait until 11 p.m. and they were calling in drunk and yelling at the radio talk show host. Yeah, maybe now now they just yell at anybody and everybody. I bet Barry Larkin had his own detractors back in oh, the I'm day. Sure, I'm sure he did. We just didn't have to hear them. Right. That's all. Yeah, I'm gonna hope that's what it is because Votto's special. He's had a special career, and if it's on the down, well, it's definitely on the down uh, side of the career. But um, I'm hoping he still has some some good left in him. But it, you know, even though he's not what he once was, man, we need to appreciate that guy. What a great red he's been. Uh, I think he's probably gonna make the Reds Hall of Fame. What do you think? I'm going to have to look at the numbers. Tommy Helms is in the Reds Hall of Fame. Exactly. Ron Oster is in the Reds Hall of Fame. Okay, you sold me. And Joey Votto's not in the Reds Hall of Fame. Ooh. Chad, you, do you have a law degree? Have you <laughs> argued before? Uh, once or twice. Mm-hmm. What do you think about Adam Dunn getting a vote for the Hall of Fame, the Baseball Hall of Fame? I, You know, I'm, I'm happy for him. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I kind of... Don't I mean I'm not gonna there's no I wouldn't have given him a vote, but I'm happy that he got the vote. I I, I don't want to be upset about anybody getting a single vote. You would not have voted for Adam Dunn. I I wouldn't have given Adam Dunn. Well a here's vote. a follow up question. I, okay. How are you enjoying your final appearance on Red Lake Nation Radio? <laughs> I was enjoying it well until about three <laughs> seconds ago. All right, you wanna answer some viewer mail questions? Yeah, yeah, we can do that. Let's anything that gets me away from the uh, Adam Adam Dunn stuff. Who I absolutely love Adam Dunn. Dunner. I think he was he's a fantastic Red Reds Hall of Famer. But Dunner, oh, I love Dunn. Yeah. I, I I just I, I hope that the you know Derek Jeter got all but one vote, which is people are upset about that for some reason. Uh, Jeter's not an inner circle Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer. I'm okay with that. But come on. Um, but I really hope that whoever it was that I haven't seen, I don't, maybe this has already been revealed. Whoever didn't vote for Derek Jeter, I hope that's the guy that voted for Adam Dunn instead. That'd <laughs> well, be great. It, uh, unless it happened while we were podcasting, whoever it was that didn't vote for Jeter has not been revealed yet. Oh. And they may not be. 
Um, not, not everybody reveals their, their votes. Um, some people didn't reveal them publicly, but they may have checked the box for the Hall of Fame to, re- or I guess the Writers Association to release their votes uh, on February 4th. So we may find out then, um, but you don't have to check that box if you right. don't want it to be known. So Now, let's uh, we're going to answer some viewer mail questions, and we usually start with our, uh, our friends at uh, patreon.com slash redlegradio. But for this one, I hate to do this because it's just going to encourage him. But I'm going to answer one from twitter.com slash redlegradio first. I don't think you know where we're going with this one. This is an actual letter, <laughs> which <laughs> evidently was was literally written and signed with a with a signature that's almost as bad as mine. Um, and here's what it says: "Dear Redleg Nation Radio Viewer Mail, we always say these are actual letters from actual viewers, and here we have an actual letter that wasn't actually mailed to me, although he claims it was mailed. We'll see if it shows up in the mail." Um, but he did post it here. Dear Red Leg Nation Radio Viewer Mail, with the roster as is, it seems to me that playing a Eugenio Suarez at short makes the most sense to me. Sure, the defense will take a hit, but it makes the most sense for the lineup as constructed today. This would make Freddy Galvis the backup at the infield positions, and it would, would allow Sinzel and Shogo to play every day. With the amount of shifts the Reds used last year, Suarez was basically playing short about 75% of the time. Anyway, thanks, Philip Razor, Pork City, Iowa. No, Polk City, Iowa. I prefer Pork City, Iowa. Philip Razor. Hash brown viewer mail. What do you think about that question, Doug? It's not really a question. It's just a statement, I guess. There's no questions in there. I'm going to address it anyways because I'm very mad at Phil right now. Uh, (sighs) Just now or always? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll go just always. just now, just now. Uh, well, actually, probably for the last like three hours because I saw the question a while ago, <laughs> or I guess the comment or statement that he he put out there. Right, right. now, I, I've seen this brought up a million times this off season about how with all the shifting going on, Eugenio Suarez basically played shortstop a lot last year. No, no, he did not. Just because he was standing at the shortstop position does not mean the Reds expected him to have the range or abilities of a shortstop. That's why they shifted. Yeah, the guy that was the shortstop was playing somewhere else where he needed his range. Right. They weren't expecting the ball to be hit to Suarez while standing at roughly the same position a traditional shortstop would begin to play at. That's why he was standing there. That doesn't mean that you play shortstop. If Eugenio Suarez could play shortstop, he'd probably have been playing shortstop for the last two years. The Reds have seemingly yeah. been trying to figure out shortstop for quite a while now, and they're still trying to figure it out. If they believed that Suarez or anybody else on the team could play shortstop, they probably would have been playing shortstop by now, but they haven't been. The reason they went after Didi Gregorius is because they didn't think somebody else could play shortstop. The reason they're interested in guys like Lindor and Seeger is because those guys can play shortstop. If they couldn't... Or if, if, if Suarez could, they, I mean, yeah, you'd probably still go for Francisco Lindor because why not? But right. it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be the same way with the same aggression. It seems like the Reds have kind of been going after some of these guys with if they had any sort of reasonable belief that internally they had an actual guy who could play shortstop. Well, okay. So you, if you're done um, hammering Phil, I will uh, I'll weigh in by saying that I actually kind of agree with the tenor or the, the sort of understatement behind Phil from Polk City, Iowa's question, 
which is that, man, it would solve a ton of problems for this team if Suarez or or Senzel even could play shortstop. I think all of the uh, available evidence indicates the Reds do not believe either of those two can play short. Now, we've talked about defense doesn't uh, matter as much as it used to, and, that's, and I think that's true. I just don't think the Reds are comfortable enough, and I don't have enough information to know that either of those guys could actually handle the position. Yes, it absolutely solves a ton of problems if one of those guys could play shortstop. But... Uh, I I think that's we're this is kind of a a theoretical game we're playing here. We're like Socrates Johnson. We're we're talking philosophy here. I, um, I feel like we need to go back to the the hope isn't a plan kind of thing here. And I feel like that when people start talking about Sinzel or Suarez playing shortstop, that it's hope. It's not a plan. And uh, yeah, I think so. I think it really. I think you're right. And but let me say this as well though. The flip side here is that. If you want to uh, actually write out a letter and sign your name to it and either mail it to me or post it on Twitter or whatever, probably going to read it now. It's, it's <laughs> Clearly, that's going to get your question on the podcast. So let's move on to patreon.com slash redlegradio where you too can support the podcast. Uh, we've got a great and, and growing group of uh, really active uh, contributors, and I really appreciate every single one of you. And uh, we're going to take some questions from Patreon. First is from Andrew Scott Wills. His question is this. I have no questions. Just hope and excitement for a great season. Love the podcast. Isn't that amazing? Thank you. I love even, me some Andrew even, Scott even, Wills. even though I'm never going to be on it again, apparently. Still. <laughs> That's true. Thank you. It's your final final episode, but thank you, Andrew. I appreciate that. And but can we can we talk about hope and excitement for a great season? I think we're uh, we have reason to be more hopeful than we've been since like 2013. Is that fair? I think so. I, I've I've got. I've got some real hope for this team. I, I think there's a lot of potential upside there. Yeah. I can definitely see the downside. There are flaws. I, mean, I, 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 I don't think the downside is nearly as bad as some people do. But, yeah, yeah I, I'm excited to see what happens. I really am. Thank you, Andrew Scott Wills, for the single greatest uh, hash brown beer mail. Um, Joe Farsing asks, you know, Joe, he's kind of a clever dude. He thinks he's clever anyway. And don't so, we all? Yeah, well, I, don't, I know that I'm not clever. Joe asks, Eric Davis... Or Spencer Davis group, the man versus I'm a man. You can't discount Stevie Winwood. Now I got to tell you, I've heard of Eric Davis. I've never heard of the Spencer Davis group. Have you, Doug? No. The Spencer Davis group are a British band formed in Birmingham in 1963 by Spencer Davis, with Steve Winwood and his brother. Here we go. About to become a Red Leg Nation radio legend, Muff Winwood. On the bass guitar. Their best known songs include the uh, UK number one, Somebody Help Me and Keep On Running, I'm a Man, and Give Me Some Lovin', which reached number two in the UK and number seven in the US. Steve Winwood left, and uh, I have heard of Steve Winwood, but you told me you're not a, not a big Steve Winwood fan. I'm, I'm really not. I mean, he got the lesser of the two names of the Winwood brothers, so. How's his brother named Muff? And you don't want that he, answer. And he's. St- oh, yeah. Steve Winwood was pretty good, you know, early 80s. Uh, you know, I don't know. I like Steve Winwood when I was a kid. Um, yeah, but we're going both going with Eric Davis, right? Absolutely. <laughs> it's not even close. Eric Davis was great. Eric Davis really was great. I I really wish that I could go back in time and just kind of see Eric Davis in his prime and really truly be able to appreciate it. Uh, uh, he, I, I came just a little bit too late for that one, and 
It hurts. Yeah, I know you're younger than me. Thanks for pointing that out, Doug. Uh, MLB The Show. This is a video game. And I'm going to uh, concede that I'm a, uh, uh, I'm not really a gamer, but uh, occasionally I'll play a video game. And uh, I have MLB The Show. And you can start a franchise and you can get all kinds of legends. And i got Eric Davis on my team. And I love it, the fact that they've got his actual batting stance on there. So I hit him lead off so I can see it more often. <laughs> You're wasting the power there, Chad, oh. just so you know. But I, I understand. Great. If you can get him the extra 20 plate appearances, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So Eric Davis, yes. Joe also asks, and this one's directed towards you, Doug. Joe is ignoring me in order to ask a question to you, which I kind of, I'm kind of offended by that, Joe. Doug, whose future would you buy stock in? And he asks you to choose one of these three players. You're our, our minor league guy. Whose future would you buy stock in? Reese Hines, Jonathan India, or Lion Richardson? Now, here, here's, the, here's the problem with that question. I don't know the stock prices on these guys. Now, if we're going to assume that they've all got the same stock price, I'm going to buy a stock in Jonathan India. Now, he's closer to the show. He's closer to the show. He's better right now. There's less questions about him. But if we're going to assume that the stock price is based on, let's say, their prospect rankings right now, I'd buy it in Reese Hines because I think that he'd be the cheapest and the upside is incredibly high. Yeah, I was going to call Heinz a, a, like a penny stock, but one exactly. with some potential to go nuts if, if everything hits right. Correct. What so about I, Richardson? I think, I, think, I think India is the guy who, you know, he's he's the safe bet. It, it'd be tough to lose a lot of money on him because I, I don't think that he's going to completely fall off the map. So if you start to see the decline, you could sell and still, you know, not, you know, lose your entire world. Yeah, India's probably going to be a big leaguer. So, yes, you, you know. Whether and I, I, I think that there is a potential to make a lot of money on a guy like Reese Hines because I think that if you know you could buy low, I mean the the ceiling is there, the potential is there to you know really get a profit out of that one. Uh, Lion Richardson, I I don't know. I oh, I like I, that guy. I, I do. I, I think that I mean I, I wrote about him the other day. Um, you know, somebody asked me in one of my 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 question and answer threads I had over at Reds Minor Leagues about, you know, the ceiling for Ryan Richardson. And I think that the ceiling-wise, you know, he's a mid-rotation starter. But I could also see him being a guy who struggles when he gets to double A. So you know, he doesn't have the ceiling like a Reese Hines does. He doesn't have the safety as a Jonathan India. So I, I, I'd stay away from that stock, probably, if if we're trying to actually play real stock market kind of thing. Yeah. I buy Reese Hines because he's cheap and uh, could explode. But then again, I'm the guy that invests in S&P 500 index funds because I'm worried about the risk. So I probably actually would take Jonathan India for being serious. So he's kind of the S&P index fund of Reds prospects. You just get that 7% chance. <laughs> exactly. But you're going to get it every year. Yeah. Nathan Connor asks at patreon.com slash Radio. This year marks 30 years since the Reds' last World Series appearance. Now, I'm going to pause the podcast so that we can both go uh, sob. Yeah, my head just dropped. You know, it's 25 years since uh, they actually won a, a postseason series. I mean, I can remember that one, so that's that at least helps a little bit. Doug, we're talking about the Reds and writing about the Reds all the time. And this team has been garbage for a, over a quarter century. What is wrong with us, I think, should be the viewer mail question here. I mean, I was born here, so I'm stupid enough to just root for the team in the city I was born in. I don't know what your excuse is. Well, they're the closest team to me. Okay, well, that 
Maybe I, I should cheer so. for the team that I'm blacked out from, even though Ooh. they're twice as say, far, twice as far away from me. As, from? Well, the team that I'm blacked out from, there are two teams, actually, and they are twice as far of a, a drive for me as it is for me to get to Cincinnati. Literally twice. Yeah, because I, I, I was like, I feel like there's two teams that you should be blacked out from. I am. You? The Nationals and the Orioles, because of these yeah. ridiculous rules, because I'm, you know, I'm right on the Kentucky border, basically, uh, but over in Virginia. And... Uh, much easier to get to Cincinnati than either of those two, which is actually works out great for me because the Reds don't get blacked out. But um, 30 years since the Reds' last World Series appearance, that's the longest appearance drought in franchise history. The longest World Series title drought in franchise history is 35 years. That took place between the 1940 and 1975 titles. We are currently 30 years without a title. We have five years to get one before a new franchise mark is set. I have no question. I just present this to you for comment because what else is there to talk about? And people wonder why we get so excited when pitchers and catchers report. <laughs> Love it, Nathan. Um, that's really, really sad. Uh, my soul has been crushed. Uh, Doug and I, if you're uh, not a subscriber at Patreon, Doug and I did a, a podcast about the 1976 Reds. We're doing a series uh, for uh, Patreon-exclusive podcasts. This one on Friday morning is going to be free always. We're keeping it out. Yes, you don't have to go to Patreon. I'm not trying to push it on. If you want to, to support us, that's great. But uh, Doug and I did one about the 1976 team recently. Chris Garber and I, my uh, co-author on The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the Cincinnati Reds, we just recorded the 1975 one. It's going to be released here in the next uh, day or two for Patreon subscribers. And uh, I hadn't thought about it in those terms that, man, it had been 35 years at that point. So, But but at least that 75 team, they'd been in the World Series a couple times before that. And, you know, we are in a bad spot as a franchise right now. The Reds have to win. And, and not even a, a championship, but they've got to win something really soon. I've been saying it for a while. Are they going to lose a generation or two of fans, right? I mean, I think they probably already have lost at least one. Yeah, I think so too. Although I'm hopeful that if they really start winning and, and, and winning big, and I do love the, the people who are making the decisions now. I've said that before. I think those guys are going to, those fans will come back. I don't know. Jeffy Walter asks at patreon.com slash radio, and he changed his name to Jeffy, which I approve of. If I were in charge of the Baseball Hall of Fame, I would throw out the current voting rules for the writers. Instead, I would only make players eligible for one year, but remove the 10-vote limit. What's your ideal voting system for the writers? Uh, I like that idea of making them only eligible one year and remove the 10-vote limit. If they're a Hall of Famer, vote for them the year they're available. Um, I don't, I don't really like it because then guys, you know, well, maybe it would have happened, but Barry Larkin wasn't elected until his third year. It would be different if you didn't have a limit or whatever. But um, do you have an ideal voting system for the writers? My, really, my ideal voting system is one in which they vote for uh, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Adam Dunn. Whatever system <laughs> would encourage that is the system I want. Do you have any uh, ideal voting system, Doug? I mean, I'm not sure that there's a perfect system, but I, I, I will say... If I got to make the rules, one, I, I don't, I don't, not, I'm not even like against the one year unlimited vote situation. Actually, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Um, with the way the current system is, you know, Dan Simborski, who, you know, the guy that does all the zips projections, fan graphs, ESPN, all that fun stuff, awesome guy. Uh, he actually was talking about this on Twitter today. Um, the Baseball Writers Association of America does not have to publicly release how they vote for the Hall of Fame. 
And he was talking about how that bothers him because there's no accountability then. Um, and, you know, a couple of years ago at the winter meetings, they overwhelmingly voted 80 to 9 to change that. And really? That was the people in attendance at the winter meetings, which is basically anybody actively working in baseball right now voted. And they overwhelmingly voted to make it public ballots. Well, the people that weren't there, you know, probably the people who aren't actively covering Major League Baseball anymore, threw a fit. And they started privately going to the Baseball Writers Association of America board to say they don't want this. Because you know they, they, they feel like that they would have to change the way that they vote. And I, that, I mean, I, I'll, I'll be up front. I've applied to the Baseball Writers Association of America twice, and I've been denied twice. Um, I'm with Dan, though. I would make it so you have to at least publicly state who you voted for. If you can't defend who you vote for publicly, then there's something wrong. Why? Like, what? What is? What are you voting on if you can't or don't feel comfortable defending that vote publicly? And these are baseball writers who are, you know, should be able to defend their opinions. Yeah, I, I, I think that 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 would be the one thing that I would change more than anything else is to make it so if you are going to put in your vote that it needs to be public and you you don't even have to defend it if you don't want to, but you public. should you you should be able or be forced to put your ballot out there that hey this is who i did or did not vote for and even if it's just as simple as you know submitting your ballot and it's public now that's good enough because at least then people can ask you dude what what is this about <laughs> why'd you vote for omar Vizquel? yeah or why did you not vote for Derek jeter or you know how are you not voting for like i mean Adam Dunn. joe dimaggio took years to get into the hall of fame Adam Dunn. like I'm not going to have that conversation again, Chad. Adam Dunn. Yeah, why did Adam Dunn not vote for <laughs> Derek Jeter on the first ballot? I don't understand. I think Adam Dunn needs to answer this question. Hey, but watch he it. Hey, he doesn't have to. No criticism for Adam Dunn here. No, I think that's a good. I think that's a, that's a good idea. My my first thing I would change is just I wouldn't do it one year like Jeffy says, but I would. I, if if I could do anything, I'd just remove the ten vote limit. Period. Yeah, that yeah that that's a ridiculous thing. Like I, I don't understand that. Um, because there, I mean, yeah, there's a chance that you could have more than 10 players that are Hall of yeah, Fame. They're Hall of Famers. They're Hall I mean, of Famers. I, 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 I'm still frustrated about the fact that Kenny Lofton didn't get 5% of the vote in his only year of eligibility because there were more than 10 guys that were Hall of Fame. Kenny Lofton has Hall of Fame numbers. He's a Hall of Famer. I agree. He, he did not make it through the first ballot. Just like Adam because Dunn. He, because he didn't get 5% of the vote. And I mean, he's better than probably 20 guys in the Hall of Fame. Uh, unquestionably, Adam Dunn's not in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> soon, yeah, soon. When the Veterans Committee gets him, no, I would think uh, those two changes, remove the ten vote limit and make every ballot public, would do wonders because the Baseball Writers Association of America, and I really like certain members of the Baseball Writers Association of America personally. Trent Rosecrans, Mark Sheldon, John Fay have all been uh, friends of the podcast. So, um, but. The Baseball Writers Association has made a complete shambles of something that used to be really dear to me, which is the Hall of Fame. I used to really 
love you know every year around the middle of the season you all hear me on the podcast talk about how the all-star game is for still whatever reason it's it's like you know it's it's dear to my heart the hall of fame used to be that way and they screwed it up so bad they've made me not care about the hall of fame anymore and that's sad they've really screwed it up so changes need to be made but everyone's afraid of change so i like i like your thoughts though doug and i will also if you need me to uh, write a letter of recommendation I will. Uh, I'll do that for you to get into the Baseball Writers Association. Okay. I'll, I'll let you know after next season when I can apply again. Yeah, let me know. Um, should Should I apply? Is there a, Is there a Baseball Talkers Association? That's what I need to be on. I, I mean, there, there there might be, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, I'm going to start one. Matt Sheary asks if Nicola Dolo hits his max potential. Is there a current big leaguer you would compare him to? Nicola Dolo. Number 77 prospect in all of baseball with a bullet. Current big leaguer you would compare him to. Um, you got you got a thought? I really don't like comparing players to other players. And the reason for that is you can take very different things away from that. Uh, you know, in the, in the scouting community, you'll, you'll see a lot of these comparisons. And for some scouts, when they make a comparison – they're just comparing the physical attributes, the athletic movements. You know, does this guy swing like this guy? They're not saying he's going to play like that guy. They're saying, when I see this player do this, he looks like this guy. Whereas other scouts are saying, I think he's going to perform like this guy. Uh, and so I, I always hesitate to make player comparisons like that. Instead, I like to give profiles. When I look at Nicodolo, I see a guy who his ceiling is a number two starting pitcher. A guy who can give you a low three, low three ERA. Uh, be very consistent. He's going to throw strikes. Uh, he's going to miss some bats. I I don't think he's quite, you know, top of the rotation kind of guy. Although, you know, when you get these guys that, you know, have good control, you know, sometimes you get a guy who will turn into Cliff Lee, who, you know, you, you don't really look at his pure raw stuff and go, oh my God, that guy's an ace. But when you, you take that just that next step with your control, sometimes you can get a guy who, looks like a mid-rotation guy and they turn into, you know, an ace for four or five years because they just have that kind of control. And it wouldn't be shocking if Nicodolo did that because he's an athletic guy who, who can throw strikes and he's got enough pitches to make it work. But I, I think ceiling-wise, number two, low three, ERA, low three ERA. Alex Wood. Yeah, I mean, that, and I, I think that that probably fits the profile I'm talking about, although... When Wood maybe, was healthy. Maybe, yeah, hopefully more health. Right. Because unfortunately for Alex Wood, he's just he's had a problem staying healthy throughout his career. It is unfortunate. Alex Wood's mom is really upset about it. Well, I mean, I understand Alex Wood's mom, but you know he he's turned out pretty well, all things considered. I mean, I wanted the rest to sign him. The Dodgers got him back. I wanted the rest to keep him. I've said that here. J.J. Hoover's mom wanted the rest to keep him too. Well, I wish that J.J. Hoover's mom would have gotten her wish. <laughs> exactly. Jeff Euchler asks, I'm reading remarks suggesting that the Reds might be looking to trade some of the outfield, especially if they sign Castellanos. Any chance they look to beef up the farm system by trading for prospects instead of trading away prospects? If there isn't a blockbuster deal available, it makes sense to me to compile value in the minors rather than a bunch of part-time players at the major league level. Uh, good question, Jeff. My thought were my thoughts about this are, are initially, and I'll let you weigh in, Doug. Um, I know th- a lot of people have suggested the Reds should look to trade Senzel if they get a guy like Castellanos um, to try to improve his shortstop, presumably. I don't think having four good outfielders is a problem. 
And I think there's plenty of at-bats for all of them, and I don't think the Reds need to trade some of the outfield. If they look to trade somebody, I would be surprised if they look to beef up the farm system just because of the look of that. The PR value of that is that, uh uh-oh, it's still rebuilding. I don't have a problem with the Reds trying to get some prospects, but I think the PR, uh, the way that's uh, played PR-wise, doesn't work. So uh, any thoughts, Doug? I I think that most of the people that are suggesting this they're going to say that if they got another outfielder, they have five outfielders. I think that they're generally more convinced that Aristides Aquino is a guy who needs to be playing every day than, say, you or I are. Yeah, I hope um, he is. I hope so, too. But I also completely understand the hesitation to be like, hey, we're going to give you 550 at-bats this year. The Reds no can't hope. Asked. Hope it's not a strategy. There you go. Right. Um, but, you know, I never want to say no to any deal. Um yeah, I think that if let's let's assume they do get another outfielder and it is Castellanos, I mean that really pretty much means you're going to be looking to trade either Sinzel or Jesse Winker, right? Because I I don't think that Aquino has enough trade value to really make it worth trading him. Uh, you're not going to straight up bench Jesse Winker or Nick Sinzel. So if you're going to trade somebody, it's got to be one of those two. They're not going to trade Akiyama. Like that's uh, that's not going to happen either. So, I mean. I feel like if they were going to trade Sinzel for a shortstop, that would have happened already. And it hasn't. So, I don't know. I, 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 I'm I, with you. I, just, I don't see a problem with having the four outfielders. And, you know, if, if Aristides Aquino changes their mind because oh he just goes out and does something great, then great. Like, yeah. how is that a problem? But not, I, I think that yeah. that's just where things would be. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. All right, Dennis Papasan. And Dennis, let me just say, I did get your email. I read it. I meant to respond. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm lazy. I'm sorry. But at least he told me how to pronounce his name, and I really hope I'm saying it right this time. Great question. Love this question. Dennis asks, if you could bring back any X-Red for this season that could help us win the pennant, who would it be? You get that player for only one season, but you get him from the prime of his career. Make a case for why that player could get us to the World Series. And, of course, name the 2020 projected starter that gets demoted. Now, I'm going to answer this question to give you a chance, Doug, to think about it a little bit longer. My answer is Barry Larkin, 1996. Barry Larkin was 32 years old in 96. It was actually the year after he won the Most Valuable Player Award. But to me, it was the best year of his career. 7.2 wins above replacement that year. Barry Larkin was just, I mean, we know he, you know, he was amazing. He won the gold glove, obviously. Uh, so we know he was fantastic in the field. But 298 average, 410 on base, 567 slugging. He had 33 homers. That was his 30 uh, 30 year. That used to be a thing in baseball 30, win, 30 home runs, 30 uh, stolen bases. Um, 33 home runs. That was the best year of Barry Larkin's career. You put Barry Larkin in for uh, Freddie Galvis, who has to go. And this team is amazing. This is a 91-plus win team and probably the greatest team in the history of baseball. So that's what I say. Barry Larkin, 1996. Doug? I, had, I immediately had three names and seasons come to mind. You what, picked one. Was one of those Felipe Lopez, 2005? It was not. Ooh, I'm surprised. But one of them was Barry Larkin that you, you just mentioned which ironically was the year after his MVP, which was a way better season. But yeah, yeah. it was, yeah. It was great in his MVP yeah. season. But, yeah. Yeah. The, other, the other one was for 1987 Eric Davis, <sighs> which, <laughs> I mean, again, we're, apparently the Reds need all of the outfielders, but my goodness, what a season. 
I love Nick Senzel more than anyone. But, man, I would love to have Eric Davis in center field from 87. Uh, yeah. But I think that I'm honestly going to go with Johnny Cueto from 2014. I like it. I, I just, I think that the offense is good enough that if you just, I mean, first off, 2.25 ERA and 243 innings. He was great. I mean, what, what's what's wrong with that? But if you just, if you put him with Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo and just, uh, that top three, you're going to win a lot of baseball games. And what if and, Trevor Bauer becomes Trevor Bauer from a couple of years ago? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I just... Best rotation I, in baseball. I, yeah, I, I think that if you can get an ace rather than a true MVP caliber position player, I, t- I take the ace. Especially since we just get to pick the season and know the way it played out. Like, I, I know we're getting 243 innings. Uh, there's, there's not an injury, you know, possibility here. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm taking the ace. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. You know, we we think about the Reds' rotation as being pretty good right now, and it is, but you always want to improve. And when you get a guy like Johnny Cueto, and, and that year is one of the best Reds' seasons for a starting pitcher in history, in the history of the franchise. Um, we Because of, not just because of that season, but that season was a big reason why we devoted an entire chapter to Johnny Cueto in the Big 50. Um Great story about Quaid, the way he was discovered. So you should probably buy that book and, and read that chapter. But I still think I'd go with it, Larkin. I think that uh, Larkin, 96, I don't know. I'll take either of them, though. Yes, sir. The Real Todd Father asks. He's the real Todd Father, evidently. Does that mean the Todd Father that we know and has us all blocked on Twitter.com is the fake Todd Father? <laughs> Uh, yeah, he has blocked Red Leg Nation on Twitter. Um, the real Todd Father asks, yeah, he's the real, the other guy's fake. Which player on the current 40-man roster do you expect to break out this year and why? Now, I'm going to repeat myself from my earlier, uh, from many earlier podcasts, and I'm not going to spend too much time on it. To me, it's no question in my mind, Nick Senzel's the biggest uh, breakout candidate on the Reds 40-man roster. Other than maybe Scott Shebler, but I'm going to go with uh, with Nick Senzel. I just, you know, he has been productive everywhere he's ever been, in the minor leagues, in college, um, in high school. He's been productive everywhere. If he's healthy, he's going to be so much better than he was last year, and so that's what I'm going with Nick Senzel. What do you think, Doug? You're, um, you're going to go. With, you're going to go with Jose De Leon, aren't you? I'm not, although I don't necessarily hate that answer. Uh, I'm with you on Nick Senzel. I, I think that if if we're looking at guys that are going to break out, I'm looking at guys that have the potential to actually break out and be much better than they were in the past. Well, Nick Senzel had his worst season as a professional last year, his only year in the major leagues. When you talk about upside, I mean, he's got it. Yeah. And I think there's a reason why he, you know, he's... <laughs> I'm kind of public about the fact that he changed his his uh, stance and his swing on the advice of the former Reds uh, hitting coach and that staff. Uh, I think there's a reason why he did not do well after a certain point. So I'm yeah, I think it's Senzel. Yeah, I I think that all the signs point to uh, a reason to believe he could be uh, the guy that. I mean, I don't want to I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but that people expected him to be last year. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, I agree. Um, all right, a couple more. And we'll try to them as quick as we can, but this question from Rich, as Rich's questions always are, are uh, need some discussing. Uh, it's a good question, but this is non-red. So, but let's go ahead and do it. Rich Thompson asks at patreon.com slash redlegradio, with the Oscars just around the corner, here are some movie-related questions to ponder. 
Question number one. If Hollywood decided to do a biopic on the Reds and the Big Red Machine, which actors would you like to see play some of your favorite players, coaches, and management from the 75-76 era? I don't know if we have time to answer that one. Um, but quickly, any thoughts off the top of your head? I would say to play Sparky Anderson, it's uh, Melissa McCarthy. Mm, I was going to go with J.K. Simmons. Ooh, J.K. Simmons could play. He might have to wear uh, some uh, some headgear there. That's all right. Yeah, yeah, he could do that. He's a great actor, won an Oscar. Um, Johnny Bench would be... Uh, Johnny Bench. Johnny Bench. You know, I can't do this. I need to think more about it. I'm sorry, Rich. I love the I, question. I, I want to see Rob Riggle play Johnny Bench. That's just me. Um, Not Melissa McCarthy? She's already got a role in your movie. So oh, yeah. I didn't, want, I didn't want to double book her. Okay. Well, Kristen Wiig will be Tony Perez. Ooh, I like that one. Yeah. Um, actually, I, I really I don't like Kristen Wiig. Is that bad? I mean, it's. I guess it's good that I don't have to come on the podcast anymore because <laughs> I'm not sure that we can have any more conversations. She's annoying. Although Bridesmaids was so funny. Anyway, okay, question number two. Uh, that's a good question that we need more time to unpack. Question number two, though. Which movie do you see winning Best Picture this year at the Oscars? My picks are either 1917 or Jojo Rabbit. Um, now, let me just... Uh, I've got, I have opinions. First of all, I've seen all the Best Picture nominees, except for Jojo Rabbit. I'll see it when it comes out on video here in about a week. Um, I think, though, that uh, Best Picture is between 1917 and Parasite. Now, those are both fine films, and I enjoyed both of them immensely. Neither of those are my favorite movie of the year. My number one movie of the year, which should win Best Picture, is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Do you have a pick for the Best Picture uh, this year? Doug Gray. 1917. 1917 was good. I've not seen all of the options. So, I mean, I'm not exactly fully prepared to answer this, but that's that's the one I'm going with based on what I know. 1917 was good. It had the guy that played uh, Tommen in Game of Thrones. You ever heard of Game of Thrones? I have. I've just never seen it. You didn't miss anything. It ended bad. Here, the nominees for Best Picture are Ford versus Ferrari, which was good. Did you see that? Get a chance to see that one, Duck? I did. Oh man, it was good. Did you like it? I, I did. I loved it. It, it was. It was pretty good. The Irishman, Martin Scorsese's uh, movie with uh, De Niro and uh, Joe Pesci and, and Al Pacino. Took took seven weeks to watch, but yeah, seven weeks, <laughs> literally seven weeks long. Uh, so good, so good. Loved it. Uh, Jojo Rabbit's the one I haven't seen yet. It's Taika Waititi. And uh, during World War II, a lonely German boy's world is turned upside down when he discovers his single mother is hiding a young Jewish girl in their attic. Aided only by his idiotic imaginary friend Adolf Hitler, Jojo must confront his blind nationalism. Greatest film synopsis in history, probably. One of my brothers... I remember the first time I saw the trailer for that, and I, I couldn't... I don't... It was weird. It was really weird to try and piece together how yeah. everything was coming together in that. I just, yeah. Yeah, that's the only one of the best picture nominees I haven't seen. My brother, one of my younger brothers, uh, saw it and uh, he just thought it was fantastic. Uh, Taka Watiti uh, plays Adolf Hitler and he also directed it. And uh, he's the one, the guy that did uh, one of the best Marvel movies, which was the uh, Thor Ragnarok. It was a really funny movie. So, anyway, Joker. Did you see Joker? I have not. Oh, I'm sorry to call you out on that one. Uh, That's okay. I, I, I'll i be honest about it. I don't think I want to see it. I get that. I've seen it twice. It was really good. Uh, Little Women, 
you know, Little Women does not have any business winning Best Picture, but it was good. And the director uh, and uh, screenplay writer um, of that movie, uh, Greta Gerwig, is an absolute genius. She will win a Best uh, uh, Director nomination at some point. But that's not a, not a Best Picture. Marriage Story. Uh, did you see Marriage Story? Yes. Oh, Marriage was, Story is really I, good. I, it was it was a tough watch though. <laughs> A, I'll be honest. It, it was a tough watch. I, I can understand why it's nominated, but I'll never watch it again. That's exactly what I was going to say. Noah Baumbach is one of my favorite directors. It's a great movie, legitimately great movie, and I will never, ever, ever, ever watch it again. It was awful. It was great, but awful. 1917 was good, really good. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that's what I think is the best. Parasite. I watched Parasite, which is really great. It's a Korean movie. Um I didn't think it was good as everyone says it is, but I think it's got a chance of winning best picture. So, but, but if I had to guess, I'm with you. It's probably 1917. All right. Last question. Um, do you know who had the most Oscar nominations? And he gave the answer, but do you know who it is? Uh, Doug, most Oscar nominations in history, in history. Oh, are we talking movie or person person? I, I guess I wouldn't have the answer for either one of them, but no, no, I do not. I may have guessed this John Williams, who did the Star Wars uh, scores, and he's been nominated literally like 52 times or something. So, All right, one last question. We've gone long, as we uh, tend to do, Doug. From Joe Farsing, his question is this. I hate Jeter. I presume he's talking about Derek Jeter, you think? Not I would Je- hope so. Not Jeter Downs. I hate Jeter with the heat of a thousand suns, but how can you justify the jack wagon who thinks Mariano Rivera is a Hall of Famer but didn't respect Jeter enough to vote for him? I, I, I'll put it out this way. Assuming I had a vote, if I believe there were 11 or more Hall of Famers on my ballot, I wouldn't have voted for Jeter either because he was going to get in. Yeah. It was un, un, there was no doubt he was going to get in. I would have used my other votes to vote for players who needed to vote more. That's, that, that's the only way I can justify it. Um, and again, this I, I definitely do not believe that Derek Jeter is one of the best baseball players ever, but I'm also a guy who would vote for everybody I believe is a Hall of Famer the first time around rather than make people wait because I'm petty or weird or whatever else. Um, like, I, we obviously know some people do because how did Barry Larkin take three years to get in, for example? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Derek Jeter's a Hall of Famer. I, gotta, I have no problem yes. with that. But the fact of the matter is the only person in history who got 100% of the vote was a reliever, Mariano yeah. Rivera. So, and he's, he's the greatest reliever ever. Sure. But he threw 75 innings a year. And I have no problem with Mariano Rivera being in the Hall of Fame. But if that's the only guy that got 100%, then getting 100% yeah, I mean, is completely meaningless, and we need to stop talking about it, because who cares? Yeah, I mean, if, if anybody puts Mariano Rivera in the top 10 player, best players of all time, you're either lying or you're just really wrong. Yeah, he's not even better than Adam Dunn. Doug, any final thoughts for us here on the uh, Red Leg Nation radio podcast? I mean, since it's going to be my last opportunity to speak on this podcast, uh, I probably should say something, but uh, <laughs> no, no, just uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. You know where to subscribe to us everywhere you get your podcast. We're there. You can uh, find us on Twitter at Red Leg Nation Radio. No, excuse me, at Red Leg Radio. Uh, he's at DougDirt24. I'm at Dotson C on Twitter. You can find us at. Um, RedLegNation.com, RedSmilerLeagues.com as well for Doug, uh, but RedLegNation.com where we've been talking about the Reds every single day since 2005. 
If you want to support us with a, a couple of bucks tossed our way, you don't have to, but if you want to, we really appreciate it. And there's some cool uh, goodies you get if you do that. Go to patreon.com slash redlegradio. Uh, this is Chad Dotson. Uh, and uh, actually, I screwed this up here at the end. I always do this little ending, and I screwed it up, Doug. Are you are you disappointed in me? Always. For Doug Gray and J.J. Hoover's mom, this is Chad Dawson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, seven days a week.